Well, today we're wrapping up the series of sermons. Marriage is a team sport. And yesterday, Monisa's parents celebrated their 62nd wedding anniversary. And um, uh, we're excited about that. I remember when we were dating, they'd already been married 25 years. So they've been together a long time. And I believe that all of us in this room and those watching on television who stood before a preacher, God, and our family to say I do to another person that we were madly in love with, to become husband and wife, that deep within us, that's what we want. We want a marriage that lasts. We, you know, we, we want to be married decades, decades, decades until we go to heaven. And not only want to be married a long time, we want to have a good marriage, a happy marriage, a growing marriage. And that's really what this sermon series has, has been all about. And today, as I said, is the last sermon and I want to take a moment and thank you because the response has been incredible. We've had more response to this series on marriage than any I've ever preached. And it's been encouraging to me and I hope it's been helpful to many, many of you. We've had people come as guests to hear the sermons, people watching on television and communicating with us. And I appreciate that very much. We've had a few couples actually get into counseling to work on some issues. Others who have good marriages doing some sort of counseling checkups to uh, make their marriage even better, and that's encouraging. And I want to begin by just reminding us, just a little review that we've said in this series. In many ways, marriage is like a team sport. It's not an individual sport. It's a team sport. We win as a team. We lose as a team. And marriage is the same thing. You don't succeed in marriage by yourself. It's a team sport. We win as a team. We lose as a team. So if the team wins, you win. If the team loses, you lose. And we began by talking about having the right philosophy. That just like a coach has a philosophy that directs how he coaches in marriage, we need to have the right philosophy. God's already given it to us in the book of Genesis when he said a man is to leave his father and mother and cling to, cleave to, be joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. God's way of talking about commitment. And the idea that the marriage relationships takes precedence over other relationships. It is a unique relationship, different than the one you have with your children, your parents, or anyone else on earth. The only relationship that is to matter more to you than your relationship with your spouse is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so there's a commitment that's to be there. That's the philosophy. And if you don't have that, you're not going to do the other things that are needed to have a great marriage. And then we talked about the importance of offense. In sports, a team, you've got to score points to win the game. So how do you bless your marriage? How do you make it better? How do you strengthen? So we talked about things like romance and dating and having daily connection points. And, and uh, remember, I even gave you the suggestion that we got from one uh, you know, Christian marriage author who, who suggested that every morning before you go to work and then every afternoon once you get home from work, you give each other a passionate kiss. You know, 20 seconds, which will turn into 60 seconds or whatever. But you give each other a passionate kiss in the morning and in the day, and it will change the dynamics in your home. I don't know how many of you have done that. I hope you have. I want to encourage you to think about that. And if for some reason in your marriage you're not able to have passionate kisses, why not? What's the problem? Just think about that for a moment. Then we talked about the importance of playing defense, that in, that in team sports you have to keep the other team from scoring. You have, to, you have to keep your opponent at bay if you're going to win the game. And in marriage, you have enemies, those who want to destroy your marriage. So how do you protect your marriage? And, and we focused in particular on protecting your marriage from sexual attraction to someone other than your spouse. So we looked at setting in place boundaries or 
buffer zones or, or so on that you don't cross. They are there to protect you, and you don't stick your toe in that. You stay back from it, and it protects you. And, and uh, so we, we talked about things like not being alone with someone of the opposite sex who's not your spouse, especially on a continuing basis. So don't go to lunch with a co-worker of the opposite sex, just the two of you. Just don't do that. And if you're forced in a situation, don't do it more than once. We also talked about you don't discuss the intimate details of your life and your marriage with someone of the opposite sex because of the psychological transference and the bonding and all of that stuff that takes place. And we also talked about, I want to remind you of this, that we have transparency. We don't keep things from one another. We don't keep secrets from one another. And one of the tests of transparency is, does your spouse know all the passwords to all your social media accounts? This is my iPhone. Monisa can get into my iPhone. I can get into her iPhone. Her fingerprint will open this. She knows the code. If you are hiding something, if you are afraid for your spouse to know your passwords, why? What are you hiding? What's the problem? If you, see, in marriage, there's trust. There's trust. There's transparency. And if you're going to have a great marriage, that matters. And then last Sunday, we talked about the importance of developing fundamental skills that whatever sport, whether it's basketball, football, there are certain skills you have to get good at, you have to practice. Same thing in marriage. So we looked at the importance of learning how to talk to each other the right way. The importance of listening to one another and seeking to understand what the other one is not, what, what they're really saying and, and not always being so, so defensive. We, we talked about learning to deal with anger and conflict the right way and, and forgiving each other. And obviously, as I mentioned before, there's no way in one sermon we can delve in to any of those topics as deeply as needed. We're just skimming the surface, just, just touching it a little bit to get these thoughts in our mind and give us some practical suggestions. And, and some of us are going to have to dig deeper on certain things, and I want to encourage you to follow through with that. Now today, as we wrap it up, I want to talk about the importance of team chemistry. Because in sports, you can have a team that has a lot of talented players but if they don't work well together, they don't like each other, they don't have good chemistry, they will win some games, but they won't win championships. Same thing is true in marriage. You know, you, you could be really smart, but it doesn't mean you're a great wife or husband. You could be really intelligent, but it doesn't mean you have a great marriage. So how do you develop chemistry? How do you develop teamwork? How do you pull it off together? Because it's a really important subject. You know, Duke uh, won the national championship in basketball a few weeks ago, and Coach K in 2009 wrote a book. And one of the things he said, and I want you to look at this on the screen, he said, people want a recipe. Recipes guarantee that if you follow these steps in this order, you will get a favorable outcome. But team building is not about a recipe. He says team building is about taking the necessary time to build this team for this purpose. What is the purpose of your marriage? What are you doing to build it? What time are you investing in the things that are necessary to build the team called we, the team that is you, the we taking precedence over the me. So what effort are you making? What time are you investing? What are you doing to build it? Because if you're not willing to take the time and you're not willing to make the investment to do what's necessary to have chemistry, to have teamwork as a couple, then you're going to struggle to develop it. Vince Lombardi was the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers in the 1960s. They won several NFL championships. One of the things he said about teamwork is this. He said, individual commitment to a group effort. That is what makes a team. 
It's me focusing on becoming a better me, doing what I'm supposed to do, making the effort that I'm supposed to make. And we've talked about in this series, not focusing as much on what the other one needs to do as focusing on what you need to do to be a better you. Because if you do that, you'll be a better wife, you'll be a better husband, and you'll end up with a better marriage. Lombardi also said, build your team, build for your team a feeling of oneness, dependence on one another, and of strength derived by unity. Build the team. The we taking precedence over the me. What does it take? to have a great we, a great us. And what do I need to do so that I can help us, help we succeed, be happy, have a strong marriage? Now, with all of that, what does that look like? What does it look like in Scripture? There are several verses we could look at, but I want you to open your Bible to Proverbs. We're going to look at three verses from the book of Proverbs in just a moment. What does it look like in God's Word to have a team a we, to, to have chemistry, to, 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 to be in love for the long haul. Well, one of the verses is in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. Now, he's using an analogy about drinking water from a well, etc., referring to marriage and in particular the sexual relationship, but all aspects of it, emotional, spiritual, and physical, but in particular the physical here. He says, drink water from your own cistern, fresh water from your own well. Obviously, he's talking about being faithful, not having an affair, staying together, but enjoying the fresh water that comes from that well, from the relationship that you have with one another, and that includes the sexual relationship. Have you ever taken a drink of water from a cold mountain spring? And it's refreshing. You ever been outside in the summer working hard in the yard or the garden and you're hot and you're thirsty and you get a drink of, you know, cold water and how refreshing it is? God says, if you want to know what my picture of marriage looks like, it's that. It's refreshing. It's energizing. And, 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 it, and it's to be fresh water. So just because you were good 10 years ago doesn't cut it. It's got to be fresh today. And even the sexual relationship needs to be fresh today. And I know all the jokes people make about how long you're married, but you you can buy into all that to your own demise if you want to because it's fresh water. And you've got to keep the relationship, including the physical relationship, fresh through all the seasons of life, all the seasons of marriage. Something else God says in Proverbs chapter 5, if you'll look at it in verse, uh, verse 18, He says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Just like Monisa's parents are in their mid and late 80s, been married 62 years, God wants you when you age to still be with the one you married when you were young. Now, I know that's not going to happen for everyone. Some of you have already been through divorce. I get that. But God's picture of what he wants marriage to look like for you is a lasting marriage, but also one that is a blessing, one that is happy. And he says, rejoice in it. That's God's image, God's picture. Verse 19, as a loving hind, which is a, which is a, a, female, a, a female deer, and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. God is the one who created marriage. God is the one who created sex. And God says, enjoy your marriage, enjoy the sexual life, and have a good relationship with each other through all the decades. And rejoice in that. And so how are you doing? I don't know how long you've been married, but whatever the length of time, how are you doing? Do you re- does your marriage reflect these verses? If not, why not? 
This is God's picture of marriage. One of there's others, but this is one of God's picture of marriage. So what's wrong if it's not reflecting this? Is, this that's some of what we've been trying to address. See, here's here's the thing. We all you know we fall in love and we get married and there's this there's all this energy and all this uh, this this passion and you remember you're you're so drawn to each other and it's for a lot of reasons emotional and chemical and everything and and you're so tuned you just zoned in you're tuned in man. You're new, you're dating, and maybe you've just gotten married, and you're at work, and you can't stop thinking about her or him, and, and, and you just focus on each other, right? And time goes by, and it's like the new car smell kind of wears off, and life begins happening. You get married, and, and, and all of a sudden, you got things at work you focus on. Then you, then you have a baby. Then you have another one. Yeah. You buy a house because you want a house, but now you've got a bigger yard to take care of. And the heat pump goes out. Stuff happens, right? My mom still will talk about the time years ago when our kids were little. Stephen's here. He'll remember this. We were driving home to Kentucky for Monisa's grandmother's funeral and ended up about an hour from our family's home stranded on the side of the highway because the engine died on the car. just went, done. Had to get a tow truck to come and get the car. And and I called, you know, this back before cell phones and and (laughs) so went into a, a house there and used their phone and my sister driving her minivan and mom coming to get us and I can still see them topping the hill and mom will still talk about when they top that hill seeing her little pitiful baby boy her boy and 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 and, and her grandkids sitting on the guardrail on the side of the highway in Virginia I mean stuff happens right and and the question is when life happens how do you deal with it and what what do you do with your marriage when life happens. Because too, too often we put it on the back burner or too often we do things that, that end up hurting it. How, what do you do with your marriage relationship when stuff happens, when life happens? Too often we're like um, Bob and Sandy. When they were engaged, they promised each other, we'll, we'll never neglect each other. We won't be rude to each other. And One morning after they'd been married several months, Sandy was in the kitchen getting breakfast before work and Bob walked out of the bathroom holding his electronic toothbrush in his hand. And he looked at his bride and he said, you always forget to plug this back in after you blow dry your hair. And she knew a confrontation was getting ready to happen, so she simply said, sorry. And Bob said, how am I supposed to brush my teeth now? And she said a lot of things went through her mind about how what he could do, well, you know. But she ignored him, got a purse, and headed toward the door. But Bob couldn't let it go. And he said, I just wish you'd remember this is important to me. And she whirled around and Sandy shot back, Well, I wish you would remember to put your white clothes in the first hamper and your colored clothes in the second hamper. But that doesn't happen either. And he said, Great, here we go again with what I don't do right. And after that, it was on, baby, it was on. 
Now, some of you have been there, right? In fact, if you've been married more than three or four days, you've been there. But that's life, isn't it? Because you've been married a while and all of a sudden the newness is gone. And stuff happens. So how do you deal with it? And if you're not careful, you will develop patterns of dealing with it that long-term are detrimental to the relationship. So look at the patterns you're developing. There's like two objects that are rubbing together it may not create much friction and break anything initially but if they keep rubbing the friction eventually wears them thin and makes them more likely to break that's what patterns that's what the wrong kind of patterns of communication the wrong kinds of patterns of interaction will do over time and it just takes a little bit but over time a little bit can do a lot so how do you deal with it um, there was a couple in our church two or three weeks ago. We have permission. I won't share their names. We have permission to tell the story. The wife went to the doctor, and after she visited the doctor, she sent an email to her husband, and she said, Well, I'm fat, but my blood pressure is good. Now, guys, hold, don't show the next slide yet. Because when she sent that message to her husband, all of a sudden he was faced with a decision. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And how he responded was going to matter. But that's life and that's marriage. And this is a little thing. He got it right. Next slide. Oh, she cried. Do you get the point? So what I want to do as we talk about chemistry, I want to give you some biblical guidance and then talk just real quickly, give you some practical suggestions. And again, we're just hitting the high spots. And the way I want to give you some biblical guidance beyond what we just looked at in Proverbs is this. I want, to, I want to look at the Greek words for love. There are different words in, in the Greek language for love. Not all of them are used in the New Testament, but all of them are described in the New Testament. And what I want to suggest is that you take these different words for love because they talk about different aspects of what it means to love and apply these in your marriage. How am I going to take this part of love and express it in marriage? And how am I going to take this other word for love, what it means, and express it in marriage, okay? And so the first word that I want us to talk about for love is one that we're pretty familiar with in English, and and it's the word eros, which we get our word erotic or erotica from. And And it's that physical passion, that sexual attraction, that desire for the other person. In fact, that is a big part of what draws men and women together in the beginning of a relationship. It's just that sexual attraction. And then, we, like I said a moment ago, we have all the jokes about how it you know, disappears. Well, listen, that part of life does change as you age, but if you lose your attraction, 
That's risky. And, and you see, you, you saw in Proverbs that God's, that's a, a gift that God has given us. And so working to keep, as we talked about in the Sermon on Offense, keeping the romance alive, the connecting points alive, the passionate kiss, the sexual attraction and enjoyment of that aspect of the relationship, that matters. And ladies, I know some of you were told certain things by your mom and our culture today tends to denigrate men and their sexual nature. TV's wrong. And it's to your own detriment as a wife who wants a great marriage if you think sex doesn't matter. Because it does. And it's a gift. And it's an expression of love. Especially for the typical man. And if, you, if you're a wise woman, you'll understand that. And you'll, you'll just understand that. Second word for love, storge. It's a word for family love, natural love for, say, a parent for his or her children, offspring. Uh, the love that someone has for those who are dependent on them is what this word means. Think of it. Have you, have you, ever, watched, have you ever watched a cat when she's got kittens? And when they're real little, especially the first few days, if she thinks they're not in a safe place, she will... Uh, she will grab them by the neck and carry them to a different location to protect them. She nurtures them. She protects them. Parents protecting your... You know, it's intuitive. It's just instinctive, if you will, for a parent to jump in front, to, to put their hand, to protect their kids. Well, in marriage, we need to have that nurturing sense for one another. How do you nurture your spouse? How do you protect them? How do you, how do you nurture them? How do you care for them? If you want a great marriage, how do you nurture? Don't, don't, don't leave them out there on a Nurture them. Don't leave them on an island. Nurture, protect, care for your marriage. Third word, philea, word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's the word for friendship, for these bonds that develop between people because they, they have common interest or they're hanging out together. For instance, how many of you, when you were in high school, had some really good friends? I mean, you were best buds. You were really good friends. And when you got each other's high school, you know, your annual, your yearbook, and you wrote in the back of it, you know, we'll always be in touch, except, you remember those days? Y'all did that? And some of those you haven't seen in 30 years, 40 years, you don't even remember their names. <laughs> and some of you teenagers over here, you know one of the big surprises and, and, and you may think I'm crazy, but, it, but yeah, I promise you, you have good friends right now. When you're 50 years old, you won't even, you'll barely remember them. Some of us, how many of you have gone back to a high school reunion after three or four decades? And, and uh, there's a friend that, you know, you, you did a lot of stuff together when you were in high school. Oh, it's good to see them. And you sit down and you talk for about five minutes, but after five minutes, you don't have anything to talk about. Because you're never together anymore. Maybe you made a reconnection on Facebook, but you're not together. You've gone in different directions. You don't have the same interest anymore. It's not the high school or the athletic team or the club holding you together. There's nothing to hold you together anymore. That's where a lot of friendship comes in. So you move to a different city, you go off to college, you join a church, and you make new friends in that Sunday school class. You make new friends at that college. That's friendship. Well, the one constant when it comes to friendship is to be your spouse. 
But you will not maintain you will not maintain friendship in your marriage relationship if you don't hang out together. If you don't have fun together, if you don't do things together, build memories together, if you each live your own life going your own direction, and I know life can pull us apart and demands and raising kids, but if that's how you spend so much of your time, what will, act, what will happen is gradually you'll drift. And so we start hearing people say things like, you know, I don't know what happened to us. We just stopped loving each other. We just drifted apart It's because you stopped having any fun together. You stop doing anything together. You stop building the we. You stop being us. And, and, and don't let that happen. Continue to work on the friendship, having fun together, enjoying being together. Fourth and final word for love, agape, the highest form of love, selfless love, sacrificial love, unconditional love, the kind of love God has for us, the kind of love we were singing about in that song before I started preaching. And he would love us like that. And so in marriage, serving one another, meeting the needs of your spouse. If you haven't read it, go get that book that's been out 15, 20 years now. His needs, her needs, read it and take it to heart and start doing it. Serve the needs of your wife. Serve the needs of your husband. And if you want to argue with that, get over it because you're arguing to your own detriment. Meet the needs of your spouse. Serve the needs of your spouse. That's what agape love does. I will sacrifice for you. I will serve you. And if you put that together with the nurturing and the friendship and having fun together and and, uh, the sexual attraction and the romance and the passion, you're going to have a pretty good marriage. And I want to strongly recommend that you do not neglect either of those four types of love. Do not neglect any of them. Work on all four of them. Now, in practical terms, what does that look like? I've already given you some ideas, but I just want to give you some practical suggestions that relate to those kinds of love. And and there's overlapping. It's not that this one suggestion will be to that one love, but this one suggestion might touch on two or three of those loves. And there's a lot I could give you. I'm just going to give you four real quickly. You ready? You ready? Here's the first one. Here's the first practical suggestion. Create positive experiences together and then celebrate them. That's part of that friendship, having fun together, those daily connect points. That's part of keeping romance alive, positive experiences. Now listen, in life and in marriage, the positive is more important than the negative. You succeed with the positive, not the negative. The positive is more important than the negative, but too often we focus on the negative. The positive matters more. And so creating positive experiences together as a couple will bless your marriage. Um, research tells us that most marriages do not struggle because of, a, of an increase in negative experiences. Most marriages struggle because of a decrease in positive experiences. And once you begin, once there's a decline, and listen, once there's a decline in positive experiences the negative experiences stand out more. When that begins happening, it will result in an increase in negative experiences. So the way you deal with a negative is to focus on creating more and more positive interactions, 
positive comments, fun times, positive experiences. And if you do that, there will not be as many negatives. And then when the negative ones do happen, you'll deal with them so much better because of this bank of good that you've got in you. But if you don't have that bank of good in you when the negative happens, whoa, it's bigger than perhaps it should have been. And you don't know how to handle it. So focus on creating positive experiences and then and then uh, celebrate them. Now, some of you all know this, but uh, Monissa and I had our first date during her senior year of college. I was a first year of seminary and went to a steakhouse. And a couple of days later, she was supposed to go back to college. And since we'd had our first date, I didn't want her to go back to college. I wanted her to stay there and just date some more. And so we were going into the steakhouse that January night. And I told her as we are going inside, I'm praying that while we're in here, it snows. You won't be able to go back to school. When we came out, guess what it was doing? I got power with God. Man, it was snowing buck. I mean, it was a big old snowstorm. Next day, I went outside with a Polaroid. Remember those Polaroid cameras? And I took photographs of the snow and glued to them inside a homemade card. And um, I think on the outside of it, in a big blue marker, I wrote, Snow is great. And so ever since then, snow and all that's part of our life. And so if you come to our house at the, in the wintertime at Christmas, we're going to have let it snow ornaments and sayings and this and that everywhere we, you know, on our tree. And, and by the way, I won't play it for you, but Monisa's ringtone on my phone is let it snow. And so every day I celebrate our first date. Now, I'm not saying you have to do what we do, but I am saying you need to have those positives and you need to celebrate them, keep them alive in your life, in your mind, and in your heart. That's part of nurturing the relationship and keeping the romance healthy and good. So what are you doing to create positive? Experiences. And, you know, last summer... Monisa and I spent three weeks in Italy. This just a simple little thing. It's just not the big things. It's the little things. This is a photo book of our trip to Italy last summer, and it stays on the coffee table in our living room with our wedding album. What are you? I could go on and on and on, but what are you doing to celebrate your love, your togetherness, your life with each other? Number two, and I'm running out of time, but let me run through these real quickly. Follow what some call the five-to-one principle. The five-to-one principle. It's the idea that you need to perform, have, have five good experiences, five good words, et cetera, to make up for the one comment you shouldn't have made, the one act you shouldn't have done. And the point is, if you find that the negative and the positive are even remotely Equal in occurrence, you got a problem. To be intentional about creating the positive and making certain there's a lot more of that than the negative. So the five to one rule. Focus on that. Be intentional about that. Do not take that for granted. Number three, have high expectations for yourself and your marriage. Because if you expect little in your marriage, that's what you'll get. And if you expect little of yourself, that's what you will give. Have a high standard that says we're going to have a great marriage. Have a high standard that says I'm going to be a great husband. I'm going to be a great wife. Expect of yourself growth. When you're 25, 45, 65, 85, expect 
grope of yourself. And then number four, have more sex. Have more sex. Now God says something in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. This is the verse I want to close the series with. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Now that's what God is saying to, to the Christians in the church in Rome about how they're to act with each other, how they're to treat each other. If we're to treat fellow Christians at church that way, doesn't it make sense we should at least do that at home, if not more? So be devoted to one another. Give preference. The we taking precedence over the me, the serving, get it? Give preference to one another in honor how you speak, how you communicate, how you deal with conflict, how you deal with the stuff of life. As a close, here's this. Listen, when when life happens, I mean, you're married and you're in love and life begins happening and all that that, that friction, all that stuff, when life begins to happen in your marriage, there's only three choices you have. There's only three things you can do. And you're going to do one of them. But there's only three you can do. You can choose to bail. I'm going to get out. Can't take it anymore. I'm gone. When life happens and she didn't plug the toothbrush back in, you can choose to settle. I know it's not great. But as best I can tell, this is how it's going to be. It'll never be any better, so I'm just going to settle and accept it and just start going forward. Just live, deal, just live with it, you know. Non, just, not happy, but just live with it. Now, the problem is if you settle after a few years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is, some people who have settled decide, you know, I'm not going to settle anymore, and they choose to bail. And so for some people, settling is a delayed decision to bail. Your your third choice is to build. And that's what we've been talking about these weeks. What can I do to build my marriage? What can I do to build me as a follower of Jesus into a better follower of Jesus? Jesus. Because if God's talking to me about patience, that'll make me a better spouse. If God's talking to me about my sarcasm, that'll make me a better spouse. If God's talking to me about my pride, that'll make me a better spouse. If You get the point. The better you become as a disciple, the better you'll become as a husband or wife. So what are you doing to build? And I want to encourage you to focus on building, allowing God to build in your life discipleship, to build in your life a better marriage. This week, we had a young couple. I I officiated at their wedding a few years ago. Their marriage is healthy, nothing wrong with it. But they just wanted to do a checkup. And you remember that online assessment I mentioned? They're doing the online assessment. We're going to get together next month and just sit down and talk about it. What can they do to keep growing? How are they doing? Just a checkup on their on, on their marriage. That's the attitude God wants you to have, that I can always get better. Our marriage can always get better. Keep 
building. And I, I hope for you, it's like when you die, okay, when you die and you see God in heaven the first time, I hope it's almost figuratively speaking like you still have the hammer in your hand when you, when you open your eyes and see God. And you still got the hammer in your hand where you're building your marriage. You're building your life as a disciple. You, I don't care how old you are or how long you've been married. You never quit building. You never allow God to take the hammer out of your hand. You keep building. You let God build you. Build you. And if you're married, let God build your marriage, okay? Don't ever quit building. Let's stand. What, what's God been talking to you about? in this series. Maybe today, but any time over the last several weeks. If you could if you could put it in a sentence, what is what is it that God is saying to you about your life and about your your marriage? I want you to answer him. I want you to talk to God about it. And I also want you to talk to your spouse. Tell your wife or husband, you know, here's what God's been saying to me or here's what I here's what I want to get better at. Here's what I want to do to bless our marriage, okay? And help each other. Help each other. Don't be afraid of each other. Trust each other. Help each other. So we invite you to come and kneel here at the altar and pray. Talk with a pastor. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that committing your life to Jesus will not only change your life and obviously give you eternal life and a relationship with God, but boy, it opens up possibilities for your marriage to get even better as well. So come to one of these pastors and say today, Pastor, I want, I want salvation. I want Jesus in my life because I've been doing all this by myself. I haven't had his help, but I want his help going forward. Come and tell one of these pastors. Say, Others of you need to join this church. Say, Pastor, this is the church where God wants me to remember, and I, I'm going to serve him and grow here. So let's sing together. Jamie and Steve are waiting for you. You come and make your decisions for Christ. Right